Nima Back home we referred to the session immediately after lunch as the graveyard session. <laughs> and uh, I'm almost certain a few of you might fulfill that prediction. But uh, let's see how the Lord leads us. Uh, Colossians and chapter 3 is uh, where we are entering now. And uh, if I again just could quickly remind you uh, how we are traveling through this letter, um, we are using the theme of Christ above all. And it's not a theme that we are forcing into this book. It's one that um, lends itself to anyone who takes time to read uh, this letter. The, the Apostle Paul was one who hadn't himself been involved directly in the establishment of this church, nor quite a number of other churches, as he tells us uh, later on in chapter 2. Uh, but nonetheless, as he is in prison, is being given an opportunity to hear what's happening in the churches and to respond appropriately uh, to what's happening there. And one of the responses he's giving is basically writing to these churches. And in a way, God really amazes us that in those moments when you think you are unable to be productive, they can easily become the most productive times in your life and ministry. It was so with the Apostle Paul. As he was in prison, he then wrote quite a number of the letters that over uh, thousands of years have consequently become uh, the means of edifying us. This is indeed one of them. And I've mentioned the fact that at the heart of this letter was his concern that the, the churches that would have been there in Colossia might be moved away from the simplicity of the gospel. And there was his concern that Christ might be all in all. Again, a phrase that he uses here, that, that Christ may be preeminent, uh, that Christ is not just one you embrace as you get saved, but is the one you uh, hold on to, as it were, for dear life's sake, for the rest of your life. In fact, he holds on to you. So he opened that up, first of all, with respect to the triumph of the gospel, in bringing out something of Christ being above all. And then we went on to see the foundational nature of the gospel, what it is that has been put there to therefore result in true spiritual growth, which is becoming like Christ. And so we're basically saying this is how the gospel ensures that Christ is above all in the lives of believers. <laughs> we come into chapter 3, and now we are seeing what I would call the, the superstructure of being like Christ. In other words, what does it look like when we're talking about individuals growing in their Christian lives? This is how Christ is seen observed to be above all in our lives. And so as we enter into chapter 3, the best way to look at it is, in one sense, as uh, the positive of the negative that he has just been criticizing. So the negative in chapter 2 was uh, individuals thinking that they are making spiritual progress by legalism, by asceticism, by do's and don'ts, by keeping a list of these things, they are thinking they are making progress. And Paul is saying they're zero, because the sin 
is in the heart. It grows from there. And, and therefore, uh, if you, all you are doing is painting a grave white or putting flowers, nice, beautiful flowers over a grave, you haven't solved the inside. There are still dead men's bones on the inside. What you need is life then everything on the outside sorts itself. And it is that positive then that we are coming into in chapter 3. What we notice, first of all, there is the mindset. That's what we notice as Paul begins in verse 1 to verse 4. It's, it's a change of mindset which is crucial. Chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 4. He says that if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So already you can see the change of thinking. And we'll soon look at what is it that is being spoken about, which is above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Again, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then finally, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You will notice this aspect again of um, being dead and being raised to life. Being dead and being raised to life as something that took place at the point of your conversion. So earlier in chapter 2 and verse 20, he had said, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Chapter 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So basically that's the, the, the bouncing board that we are starting from. It is this realization that there has been a major seismic change that has taken place in me. That I've gone, as we already saw, from death to life. That, that's what has happened here. I've gone from being a slave to sin in this context. I am now liberated, or we can even use a slave to God in this context. And that needs to be processed in our minds if we are going to start talking in terms of this superstructure of holiness and godliness. That there's been this transition that has taken place. In many ways, it's like an individual in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ who, when being buried, is put into grave clothes, wrapped in grave clothes, and finally laid in a tomb. Because he's dead, it makes sense that he should be there in the tomb, in grave clothes. But the moment he experiences life, it only makes sense that he gets rid of his grave clothes. You can't then, wrapped in grave clothes, be making your way through the city. I mean, if you do that, yeah, you might have a few people having um, collapsing in front of you and so on because they, they assume that uh, a ghost has come out to them. The point is, the moment you know that you've been infused with fresh life, the first thing you start doing is, is getting rid of all those things so that you can get out there 
and live as somebody who is alive. And that's where that mindset needs to happen. It's not simply that this has happened to you, but you've got this glorious, epic ending which is going to come. And it is this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's where you're going. It is, as uh, it is put in the book of uh, Proverbs, that the, the life of, of the righteous is like the, the first gleam of dawn, rising ever brighter until the full light of day. That's where you're going. It's, yes, not as bright as we would love it to be at the beginning of that journey, but it will keep getting brighter and brighter and brighter until bang, you are shining with the brilliance of the noonday sun, glorified as in Christ's own body. So that's the beginning of this superstructure. It's with the mind, with the mind. And often as we are counseling either young believers or individuals who are genuine Christians, but are wrestling with remaining sin, issues that are related to that, it's good for you to, first of all, not just go into what it is they need to do, but listen to them whether they've made this mind shift, whether they've realized what has happened. Uh, In the book of Romans, after the Apostle Paul opens up the freeness of grace in chapter 6, remember the question he asks, rather, he asks rhetorically and answers. What then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. It's totally out of question. Why? You died. That's it. In Christ, this is what has happened to you. You've died with him. You've been raised together with him. So correct the thinking. In fact, it has been stated, and it's quite true, that the first time the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans deals with us doing anything, doing anything, it's uh, in, in verse 11 of um, chapter 6. So up to this point, he's just been stating facts. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's the first time he's telling us to do anything. And it is an act of... Uh, accounting, a bit of mathematics. Realize that you've been subtracted from here and added there. Process that. This change has happened. Now, I realize that that's only four verses out of an entire chapter, but it's crucial that this foundation is in place. If we rush to take off and and put on and so on without getting that right, the problem is we again end up exactly where we are running from. And it is legalism. That's what we end up with. But once we get this mathematics right, that I've been subtracted from here, and instead I have been added here, I have come from death. I have come into life through Christ. When I have that major mind shift, everything changes. Then we come to verse 5, down to verse 17 to begin with. And basically there, it's, it's the implication. The implication of this. Put to death, therefore... In other words, that little therefore immediately tells us 
that there is something that has preceded. And it is that same foundation. Based on that foundation, you begin to do something. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, that gives us the answer to what Paul meant when he said, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And then he says in verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. His point there is not don't think about life and living. That's not the point. He's not saying don't think about marrying and having children and, and don't think about getting a job and, and don't think about looking well after your home and after your own body in terms of health and so That's not what it means. That which is earthly has to do with that which is fallen, that which is sinful, that which is self-centered and selfish. He is saying, move away from that. Uh, take that off. And then later on, I'll, I'll just preempty what will come to in verse 12. He is saying, put on then, or put on therefore, as God's beloved children, these attributes and characteristics. And again, these are the ones that are of above. It's, it's that spiritual life that is heavenly, that is Christ-centered, that is God-glorifying. And so that's what he means by the latter. But very quickly, you can see that there is a putting to death and there is a vivifying, a giving to life. There is a, a putting off and then there is a putting on. And when you look at the, uh, the two, you can't miss the fact that the putting to death has to do with that which is sinful in us. Uh, the remaining sin, indwelling sin, the wrong attitudes, the, the wrong activities, and by wrong, wrong according to God's word. So we won't have time to open all of them up, but there is sexual immorality, impurity, there is uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and so on. And again, it's simply those things that are sinful. And the Apostle Paul is making the point there that that used to be your life when you were dead in trespasses. That's, that's the way you lived. But... Now you are alive. It only makes sense that those things remain behind. You are alive in Christ Jesus. Again, the, the picture that I used earlier on of you were dead, you were in these grave clothes, and now you've been made alive. It only makes sense that you will, you yourself, will deliberately be getting rid of these grave clothes. You know, they do not belong to one who is alive. You are now getting out there in order to live the life of life. In the midst of this, uh, the Apostle Paul makes what might sound like a contradiction. When he says in, uh, in verse 9 and verse 10 that what I'm asking you to do has actually already been done to you. It's almost like a contradiction. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Why shouldn't you lie? Well, he says the seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. Well, hang on, Paul. You're talking about putting off. I thought you've already said we should be putting these things off, putting to death, to borrow his own words there, or as he puts it in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. And now you are saying here, you have put off the old self. 
And later on, in verse 12, we'll be talking about putting on. And in verse 10, he's saying, and you have put on the new self. What might sound like a logical contradiction is not a theological contradiction. Because theologically, remember where Paul is coming from, the foundation. And all he is saying here is that foundation has actually happened. And all you are doing now is leaving out the implications of it. And that's, again, crucial, because as we shall be seeing in a few moments, everything that Paul is talking about here is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Because it's not something you are doing out of some sort of brutish energy that is in you. It is something that you are doing in this common life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that separates true Christianity from nominal Christianity. True Christianity from mere legalism. It is that for a true Christian, he is simply realizing, actualizing in day-by-day living what has been done within him. So you stop lying because you have put off the old self. And you begin living this new life, growing in holiness, because holiness has been planted within your own soul. Verse 11. Oh, first of all, he's talking about all of us, whether you're Greek, free, uh, Greek, Jew, free, uh, a slave, barbarian, in other words, uneducated or educated and so on. But he says, but Christ is all and in all. You remember we're dealing with this in that last session, that our, our sanctification, the superstructure is to be built on the basis of Jesus Christ and our ongoing relationship with him. That's the way it is to be built. And again, there is the negative. So we are dying more and more to those things that were once very much part of our lives. We are surely but truly leaving them behind in a negative way then the Christian life is also positive. In a positive way, we are becoming more and more like Christ, more and more like him. Verse 12 downwards. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and these are the positive characteristics now, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and so on. Again, we don't have time to open all of them up, but you can, you can see that, that we, we, we've come away from those things that are sinful, for which God's wrath is going to come upon this world, and on the opposite end, it's, it's this positive, transformed life that's showing what in Galatians Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit, becoming more and more evident in you. Now, those of us who got uh, converted round about the time that we got married, um, our spouses, and I'm speaking for myself here, uh, in terms of our wives, okay, uh, are very grateful to God for what we are now because they look back. We were already Christians, but they look back to those early days when we tied our legs to theirs. And remember that, yes, there was so much of me, myself, and I. So much of it. We're Christians. 
But oh, the heartache and pain we often give them. And now they, they've seen the fruit of the Spirit at work within us. But hey, if the eaves drop when we are alone with the Lord in prayer, we are still crying out to the Lord because we are still so conscious of so much in us that still needs to be dealt with. And that's because ultimately we can never arrive on this side of eternity at the full stature of Christ. We can't. The, the, the glory, the, 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 the godliness, the, the holiness, or if we can even use the phrase, the Christ-likeness that is in him is infinite. It's a journey that we can simply uh, continue. And so as Paul here speaks about bearing with one another, speaks about if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, and so forth. He's dealing with issues that are at a horizontal level. It's not just thoughts that are going through my mind, but the way in which often the remaining ugliness of our sinful selfishness happens when somebody rubs us the wrong way. And often it's in marriage, it's in family life, we'll come to deal with those issues, but often it's there. And then the other place is in the church. It's in the church. Someone has said, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. Because you will mess it up. It's in the church that our true colors begin to show. And this is what Paul goes on to deal with here, isn't it? When he says uh, in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So in, within the context of the church, we, we, we rub each other the wrong way. And that's where we need to, to have this peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. That's where we need to, to be able to, to minister to one another. In fact, that's what he deals with here. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and doing everything again in the name of Christ. Let me put it this way. The church is a means of grace in more ways than one. We often think of it being the means of grace because we go to hear the word of God being preached, but it's also a means of grace because we often rub each other the wrong way and we have to speak into each other's lives. Bringing this book, not only from the pulpit into our lives, but also to one another. And even in the context of worship, as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Learning in the church context to deal with the ugliness of the me, myself, and I, as we journey together towards heaven. Before I go into the next section, which I'll get into in a moment, I want us to notice how, again, this is about Christ. Christ, Christ, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father again through him. Earlier on, he had spoken in terms of the peace of Christ. He had also spoken in terms of let the word of Christ dwell richly in your hearts and so on. 
it's, it's Christ and Christ and Christ as we are building this superstructure. Your life is around Christ. It's not just in terms of in him, in terms of your, your life with him. It is also in him in terms of his example. His example. Again, we go back to verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a accompanied against another, forgiving each other. And there it is, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So this is not mere philosophical thoughts about the fact that he is the, the formula to success. But this is simply that the captain in whom we died, in whom we were buried, in whom we've been raised in units of life, is also our model. After all, we are seeking to be like him, to be Christ-like. Now, it's especially that aspect that then brings us into the last section of uh, this superstructure. And it is where this sanctification is being manifested in that place where we spend most of our time in the family or in the household. And so uh, the Apostle Paul writes uh, saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Verse 18, verse 19, husbands, love your wives. Verse 20, children, obey your parents. Uh, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children. Verse 22, uh, born servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And chapter 4, verse 1, uh, masters, treat your born servants justly and fairly. Those are not just instructions. Those are instructions that are saying, if the Spirit of God is in you, if you are godly, if you are truly holy, this is the kind of life that will be visible to all. This is the way you are going to live out your life, despite the fact that the atmosphere is pushing you in the wrong direction. This is the superstructure that is to be your homework in a very specific way, in particular relationships. And these are the relationships being talked about. Now, often in the 21st century, uh, when we think in terms of slaves uh, or bond servants, as is put here, and, and masters, we tend to think in terms of employers and employees uh, out there in the workforce. With respect to the time at which the Apostle Paul was written, the, the economic activities took place in households. So these servants or born servants or slaves and masters, again, it's basically the same people that he is referring to. So the individual who is the husband is actually the individual who is the father, is actually the individual who is the master. And then there are three different relationships that he's relating to. At one level, he's relating to his wife, the spouse. So she too must have a certain relationship with him. At another level, he's relating to children. The children should also have a relationship with him. And then on the other, is also relating to the household helpers, who were not just helping to clean the house, but were part of the economic enterprise that made up that unit. 
So it might be a tent maker. He's got workers that are around him in making tents. It might be a farmer, horticultural or otherwise. Again, he's got um, under shepherds that are working with him and so forth. And, and all those are the ones that are being addressed that way. So, yes, we can apply it to the, the wider working world, but let's not forget the, where it was all coming from. And it's this growing enterprise that builds around the home. And the Apostle Paul is saying that godliness needs to manifest itself there. Just to manifest itself there. If there's anything that attracts other people to Christ, it's not just your eloquence as you're standing there preaching. It's, It's who you are when you've taken off your clerical garbs. When you've taken off your shoes or laid down your hair and you are in the domestic context. And sad to say, there are people who are vicious in that context, whose spouses and children hate Christianity because of their lives. Who, when they're in the pulpit and they're expounding the Bible, well, those who don't know them say, wow, here is a great servant of the Lord. The spouse and the children are looking down and saying, what a hypocrite. What a hypocrite. Physician, heal yourself first before you start talking to us. And the point here is that Paul is saying we need to make sure that our religion is showing itself in that place, in that place. In our context back home in Africa, most of our homes have got household helpers, most of them. And um, it's just the way in which we live. I've noticed here that's a very rare animal. Um, you know, you, you all handle your own uh, affairs in homes and so on. But for us, you know, that's, that's how we grew up. Well, we, we grew up with a lot of household helpers in our homes and we've also ourselves employed uh, some. Um, we, at my home, the, the most well-known person is a lady called Miriam. Uh, all our children have since grown up and she's still been with us. She's worked with us for about 22 years. And she, she's literally part of the structure. Uh, she, she almost carries an authority around her life when we are not there and visitors come. And uh, sometimes in a, in a very embarrassing way because she doesn't know some of the things that she thinks she knows. And she's telling our guests about, no, no, you, you don't make coffee that way. Just, just stand aside. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> and what she's doing is, is completely wrong. That's, that's not the way you make that particular coffee. But, you know, she's, she's so much part of it. But the point I'm trying to raise is this, that it's, it's fairly easy in that kind of context to be changing workers like clothes because of your own bad temper your failure to be Christ-like in handling those extra hands. And it's, it's important even for us in that kind of context to apply this that way, that those individuals should also say, thank God I've got an employer who's a Christian, who's a Christian. What a difference it makes. Again, as we saw earlier, even here, it's in Christ. 
If we miss that, again, we've missed everything. So I want you to notice this as the Apostle Paul goes through. And uh, where Christ seems to be missing, I will be borrowing from Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and uh, the first part of chapter 6. So wives, submit to your husbands, and listen to this, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Let me borrow from Ephesians. As Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in everything. Notice again this. For this pleases the Lord. So it's again centered on the Lord and pleasing him. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Well, in Ephesians it says, but train them up in the admonition again of the Lord. It's again centered around the Lord. For bond servants, it's there. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Listen, fearing the Lord. And he, he goes an extra mile on this. Listen to this. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are saving the Lord Christ. I mean, he's, he's making the point abundantly that if you are a Christian and you are on the side of being employed by another don't make that other the one that you are primarily serving. Make it part of your worship as you are walking with Christ, the one you've come to know. Walk with him in your employment. Walk with him there so that he is the one that is being pleased by you. And then lastly, masters, it's there. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly. Again, there it is knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You can't run away from this, that the superstructure of the Christian life is to grow on the soil of your relationship with Christ. There's no moving away. Your relationship with Christ, that's how you build your superstructure. In other words, Christ must be above all in everything you are doing, in all your interpersonal relationships, in your growth in holiness. He must be preeminent. On one hand, is that what's happening in your life? And then on the other, is that what you are commending to believers, especially young believers who are wrestling with those initial um, battles with remaining sin? Are you saying to them, have this mind shift first, Come to grips with what has happened to you. And then on one hand, put off. And then on the other, put on. But do so with Christ in mind. Amen. I think we have about 10 minutes. So uh, someone's about to come and lead us here in uh, a Q&A. Should I take this off or still? Okay. Yeah, we're going to finish this. Uh, we'll finish this session just in about ten minutes. Uh, so, questions maybe on anything really that Dr. Mbewe said today or uh, on Colossians. <laughs> yes. Hi, Mr. Mbewe. I would like to ask, in another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, you were 
launched, you were sanctified. So where do we um, bridge this gap between certain texts like Ephesians and Colossians point towards gradual sanctification, whereas other text or was it progressive sanctification, whereas the text here in First um, Corinthians points towards sanctification as being in the past almost you were sanctified. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, a wonderful question. Um, and, and basically, in, in theology, we tend to think in terms of positional sanctification, which is that initial major shift that uh, we speak about, the transformation that's taking place in the soul. Uh, and then we also think in terms of progressive sanctification. And uh, the, the, the text and the context helps us to see where that word is being used one way or the other. And I love the fact that you, you've been able to identify it already, that um, in First in Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul there is, is obviously dealing with that which took place at the point of your uh, conversion. And, and the point he's making in Ephesians uh, 6 is that, you know, don't call yourself a Christian if your heart is still in love with sin and consequently practicing it. Uh, he's not saying, you, you know, don't consider yourself a Christian unless you are perfect. Of course not. Uh, but there does need to be that uh, major shift or focus on your inner person uh, so that you are not justifying a sinful life. And in, in uh, the, the context of Ephesians and chapter 6, that's basically what he was saying when he said, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And as he puts that list down there, he's talking about not people who once did something wrong, but people who are living this lifestyle. Um, of uh, being sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, uh, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, and so on. He's talking about people living that way. And he is saying that uh, don't cheat yourself. Uh, you, you, if, if that's your lifestyle, you, you definitely are still under the wrath of God. And as that verse particularly that you quoted mentions, he's, he's writing to people who once were like that. And then God had done this uh, to them. So it's really an issue of uh, context that enables us to, to, to know that. And also, especially when you realize that, you know, the word sanctification is really an English word um, for uh, a Greek equivalent. And the Greek equivalent really, even if we were to try and summarize it in the, in the bigger word, is still simply the phrase being made holy. That's really what it is, being made holy. Now, we can be made holy instantaneously, that's Ephesians 6, or we can be made holy progressively. And often in theological circles, we use sanctification in the second way. But let's just remember that it's, it's us using it technically rather than the Apostle Paul. Thank you very much. Thank you. I will gladly take my seat. You were talking about the spread of the gospel there, and it's a, it's a big question for a big continent, but is there fuel for our prayers for Africa? Just describing some of the things that are happening with the gospel there through Zambia and your work on different things. Yes, well, if we can go to, to uh, Colossians 1, what Paul is talking about there in terms of the, the gospel reaping a fruit wherever it's going, uh, yes, uh, uh, it, it's definitely something I am encouraged about in, in our African context. Uh, we, 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 we are still... Um, I'm using a picture language here. We, we are still picking low-lying fruits. Okay, the, 
you know, sort of just tap one and bam, it's, it's, it's already in your hands. Um, whereas I think largely in the Western part where you people are, yeah, you, you sort of have to bleed quite a bit as you're making your way up that tree with all the thorns and thistles uh, and sometimes still come down empty-handed. So yes, the, the Lord is definitely um, doing a lot there. There's still a, a great openness uh, for the gospel in, in various strata of society. We go on to university and college campuses and, uh, you know, young people gather around you to listen to you uh, as you, you are sharing the gospel. Um, and it's not with any animosity or trying to challenge you. They, they genuinely want to ask questions and so on. So we are seeing uh, quite a number of individuals coming to Christ. Uh, but again, that's largely south of the Sahara, because north of the Sahara you have the Islamic north, the, the Arab north. And yes, they, it's, it's, it's dangerous uh, for you to openly uh, be, be sharing the gospel, especially where the Arab North and what you call the Christian South meet, in sort of halfway through Nigeria, going all the way to what has now been divided as North and South Sudan. At that point, that's where there's a lot more animosity because... Uh, the, the Muslims are losing individuals through evangelism, and that just gets them mad and upset, and uh, they, they're burning down church buildings and killing individuals as a result. So Africa is quite a mixture uh, in that sense. However, even in the Christian South, we have the concern of uh, what I called earlier the witch and the bread. Uh, we, we're still very concerned with the wildfires that are there in the name of Christianity. Uh, it's, it's basically atrocious. It's, it's things nobody should accept, but they're being accepted simply because, you know, of the man of God and uh, supposed to be reeking with power and so forth. And because we, we are coming from a background, and it's still there, largely, of power plays, you know, the witch doctor and in the village and so on. Uh, it's, it's very close to people's psyche, and therefore they are easily buying into it. So there's a lot of good that you can join us in thanking God for, and there's a lot which is terribly wrong and only getting worse, for which would very, very much value your prayers. Nima 